Oh, I love that. So good. And uh, we do want to welcome you here today. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And if this is your first time with us, uh, thanks for coming out to celebrate uh, Christmas uh, with us this morning. I, I just want to say right up front, in case you hear uh, a story of me being chased uh, by two police officers on foot uh, down 146th Street. I want to say right from the start this morning that you were able to hear that right here. And uh, here's the case. A couple of weeks ago, and maybe for those of you who don't know, that we, we have a, a Carmel campus in addition uh, to our Noblesville campus here. And so my eight-year-old daughter, Kate, and I uh, were driving over to the Carmel campus where I was going to preach, which I try and do once every six to eight weeks. We were driving down 146th Street. It is Sunday morning, so there's not a lot of traffic. We were coming up uh, just past Grace Church, and I noticed that there were several cars stopped in the middle of 146. And you know it's a wide four-lane uh, street, and, and they was, were stopped, and so the traffic was, was coming to a stop. And as I got closer, what I realized is that there was this little uh, toy poodle, really, maybe about this big, that was just running back and forth across four lanes of traffic. And I quickly noticed that there was an elderly man who, it was his dog, the dog had gotten away from him that was just trying in every way that he could to get the dog to come back to him. So a couple of people had stopped, and as I was approaching, the dog started running for our car. And so I slowed down to really just to crawl and even started to open my door to try and get this dog's attention. Well, we stopped. I got out of the car. And again, this dog just would not come to an end. I mean, he is darting back and forth. And any moment that he came close to anyone, as a few of us had gathered now, he would quickly take off in the other direction. So I thought, Kate could help. So I got Kate out of the car too. And wouldn't you know it, this dog came sprinting over towards her in the grass just off the curb. But the moment he even got close again, back the other direction. And so we're trying within a couple of minutes, a couple of different Carmel police officers who had been approaching, you know, for whatever reason stopped. And so now they're out as well. And even though it is a Sunday morning, the traffic is beginning to back up. And so we're all working together, really trying to surround this dog, who again is not coming to an end. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden in a moment, this dog just starts darting in a full out sprint, all right, east down 146th Street between the stopped cars, but towards the traffic that was coming towards him. So I did what any great servant was supposed to do in that moment. I took off after him, all right, as fast as I could. And not only did I, but there were two police officers that started running at the same time. And so if you're approaching the situation, you might be thinking to yourself, isn't that the Genesis Church pastor that's being chased on foot by two, two police officers? What they didn't see was this little dog that we were all chasing. Now... In that moment, the Lord really just provided me with supernatural strength to the point that I was able to eventually get out in front of this dog and stop in front of him to cause him to turn around and go back in the other direction. Meanwhile, my daughter Kate is safely running down the shoulder in the grass to help as well. All right, I'm not kidding. About 10 minutes had passed in the midst of all of this commotion. The dog takes a dart off the road again, once again towards my daughter Kate. He gets within about five feet of my daughter. I yell, dive for him, Kate. And sure enough, my eight-year-old daughter dives, catches him, saves the day, captures the dog in this moment, reunites the dog with this elderly man. The police were very thankful. Again, in case you hear a story about the Genesis Church pastor being chased by two police officers 
on foot, you can say that you heard it here. And uh, I've just been waiting for an opportunity to tell that story. And even after it happened, it was one of those moments of like, that's material, you know, that, that's good material. <laughs> But uh, as a way of making a transition, you know, the whole experience really of Christmas uh, feels a lot like that for so many of us, just kind of that out of control, all right, chaotic sort of a moment that you heard Mike Jackson even describe there in the video. But isn't it true, man, if you get to thinking about it, as you get to thinking about what Christmas means for you in these next few weeks or these last couple of weeks, like what should be a time, a season of joy and fun with family all the while? you know, celebrating Jesus. Think about how quickly Christmas becomes a season full of stress, uh, a season full of commotion, a, a season full of frustration, then throw in some struggles with your kids, uh, maybe your spouse or an ex or your parents. Uh, add to it a health issue or two. You can see how quickly, how easily Christmas becomes a time of more stress. Uh, Christmas becomes a time of, of more struggle, which leads to less patience, which leads to things like less joy, add to the mix some financial challenges, all right? And you can see how quickly any one of us, we go into survival mode, really. And if you're not a big fan of this season, right, if you anticipate distress, it really becomes a time of survival. Like how quickly can we get to December the 26th? And so is it any surprise then when our primary aim really becomes getting through Christmas. If we can just get through Christmas. And it's so unfortunate, isn't it? Like when you think about it and, you know, as followers of Christ, even as a church, I mean, it's so unfortunate that we're often finding ourselves pushing through Christmas. And so here's the question that we've been asking and we started asking this past week, and that is this. Like, what if it could be different this year? Like, what, what if we, what if, what if you made a choice to say, you know what, this year, it's different. Like, what if we could work together, you know, even all of us towards a common goal, and, and that goal really being just that we're, we're not going to miss Christmas. You know, we're not going to miss Jesus this Christmas. We're going to do everything we can to actually experience the, wa- the awe and wonder of God, this God who is for us, this God who sent his son to be with us. I mean, isn't that what Christmas is all about. And so we want to make it our goal, really, you know, and uh, as we're in the second week of this series called Christmas More or Less, I mean, the question that we introduced last week was this one, like, what if we made an intentional effort uh, to be less consumed, all right, by the extras, less focused on the extras so that we could be more focused on what, what truly matters? Because what truly matters most for us is the birth of a Savior, the Son of God, Jesus, uh, our Lord. And so we want to make it our goal, Again, let's do everything we can. I want to challenge you in a couple of things even today uh, to focus our minds and hearts instead on what Christmas means for us. Because here's the sobering reality uh, when you think about it, that even 2,000 years ago, there were a whole bunch of people that missed Jesus. Like they missed the birth of a Savior. They were looking for something else. They, they missed the Son of God who came to the earth as a baby, as a deliverer for us. So many missed it. And if we're not careful, uh, we take the chance that we're going to miss it too. And that another year and another Christmas will just fly right by and we'll totally miss uh, the greatest gift that we've ever been given. So if if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to ask you to open it uh, to Matthew chapter 1, the first book in the New Testament. Uh, If you just take an aim at about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, you got a really good shot of showing up uh, near Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, if you're using one of the Bibles around the room, uh, it's page 675 in there. 
Again, Matthew chapter 1, if you use something like the YouVersion app on your phone, we'll also have the text here on the screen. This morning, I want to spend a little time with you uh, looking at a man who almost missed that first Christmas, uh, but thankfully he didn't. And instead, he made a bold move and a move that not only changed his life, uh, but a move that has changed countless lives uh, since then. So we're going to spend a little time this morning look at, looking at the life of a man named Joseph, uh, the earthly father of Jesus. And my hope is that as we see some things in him, uh, that they might make all of the difference uh, for us and even how we approach uh, Christmas these next couple of weeks. So Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18, uh, starting uh, right there in the first half of that, of that first verse, Matthew 18, or Matthew 1, 18. Uh, Matthew records this. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, stop there for a second. You need to understand how marriages worked, how, how traditions uh, with ancient marriages uh, in this ancient Jewish world uh, worked at this time. Notice that Joseph and Mary, Matthew records, were pledged. Uh, in some Bibles, it might say the word betrothed, all right? They were pledged to be married. Now, in this day, parents arranged marriages, all right, it wasn't uncommon for parents to arrange these marriages. And so uh, the families of these two, the family of Joseph and Mary, came together and entered really a contractual uh, agreement whereby Joseph and Mary would be married uh, one day, uh, most likely within a year of this agreement taking place. And so they were pledged, all right, as Matthew records, but not yet married. And keep this in mind, it's not like today. It's not like when you get engaged today and you spend a ton of time together uh, planning for the wedding, spend a lot of time together with your families. Honestly, it's unlikely that they spent much time, if any, together. Uh, and even if they did, they were never or rarely left alone uh, as a couple. But here's something interesting about their arrangement. Because they were pledged to be married, the law of the day said that the relationship couldn't come to an end, uh, could only be dissolved through death uh, or divorce, all right? And so that's how seriously the matter was taking. Again, this, this arrangement, this, this pledging. Well, before there was ever a wedding, uh, before there was ever a reception or a honeymoon, something unexpected happened. Look at the second half of that verse. It says, but before they came together, which just basically means before they consummated the marriage, before they had sexual relations, she, Mary, was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, how could this be? You know, we talked about that just a moment ago as we looked at that text in Scripture, Mary asked. That seems like a fair question uh, of Mary, you know, a 13-year-old girl likely at the time to ask. I mean, Joseph's going to ask, right? I mean, her parents for sure are going to ask. I mean, dads, imagine, you know, that your 13-year-old daughter comes to you and tells you that she's pregnant and by the Holy Spirit. You, you'd have some questions, right? I mean, you'd grab your Louisville slugger and you'd probably go looking, you know, for a boy or something. You've, you've got some questions, well, turn over to Luke's account for just a few minutes, if you would. You can kind of keep a finger in Matthew 1, but go over to Luke's account. Uh, again, in the Bibles around the room, page 715. And I want to look at just some things that Luke records about this uh, event for just a moment. Uh, uh, Luke was a historian, and uh, because he was a, a historian, he pried uh, himself in, in truth. Uh, he's very meticulous in his details. As you read through the, the Gospel of Luke, you'll see his, uh, how much he pays attention to the details. Well, the historian Luke provides some additional details about this account that I think are pretty insightful uh, to this event. And so let's pick it up in Luke chapter 1 uh, for just a moment. We looked at a portion of that verse just a moment ago. 
Again, starting in Luke 1, let's start in uh, uh, verse 34. I think we begin with 35 on the screen, but let's start in verse 34. Mary, Mary asked uh, this. She said, how will this be, right? All right, she's just received this news from the angel, all right, that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit with the Messiah. So she asked the angel, uh, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, uh, to, to be born will be called the Son of God. And so again, she asked, how will this be? All right, I'm, I'm not doubting that it's the case, but give me a little more information of how this will be. And the angel, well, she goes on, he goes on to explain that it's a miracle from God, which is fascinating when you think about it, that man had nothing to do with the creation of the first uh, Adam. Uh, man was gonna have nothing to do uh, with this second creation, with the creation of the second Adam, a perfect uh, a better Adam, Jesus Christ, that is, the Son of God. And while it's a shock to Mary, at least she has the benefit of hearing it from an angel, all right? That's going to help. But that's going to help her, that is, all right? Not necessarily anyone else. I mean, remember, no one else is there to experience this. No, no Joseph, all right? Her parents aren't there, and so she's on her own. And so think of all of the, the thoughts in her mind, all of the conversations to be had that are stirring in her mind at this moment. But then look at her response. Verse, uh, skip over to verse thir uh, 38. Uh, she replies, I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now stop right there and just let's just know what, what a great example of obedience, right? What, what a great example of obedience here. What a, what a great reminder for all of us today, maybe for some of you today, that no matter what you're going through right now, uh, even if it doesn't mad up, even if the details, if the circumstances all, uh, they don't make sense. I mean, even for you today, no matter what it is that you're going through, even when it's hard, even when you don't understand, the Lord loves obedience. Uh, he is always searching for our obedience. You know, he honors our obedience, even when things are going to be difficult, even when your obedience requires really difficult decisions, even though it's going to be challenging and hard, he's, God's going to protect Mary. All right, and he's going to provide for her all throughout her life. Now, did she rush off to tell Joseph? Maybe not. Because look at what Luke records happens next. Verse 39 there. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now, this was most likely a 50, if not a 70-mile journey uh, for Mary. Verse 40, uh, she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Uh, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, it says the baby leapt in her womb, all right? And so, so Elizabeth is pregnant. And then it also says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I, I think we see here that Mary needed a safe place, all right? She needed someone that would understand in this moment. And so she hurried off to her relative Elizabeth's house. And if you're not familiar with Elizabeth's story, Elizabeth and Zachariah at all, Elizabeth was six months pregnant uh, with a, a boy that would be named John or John the Baptist as we know him from Scripture. Uh, John was going to play a significant role in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And an angel had announced Elizabeth's birth, all right, much like the angel had announced the birth to Mary. And I just think that if you stop there for a moment, that this is just an incredible demonstration of God's grace. All right, can you see that? My, my wife was pointing this out to me as she was reading this the other day in her, her own quiet time, that isn't it so cool that God gave Mary a friend, that he gave her someone that could understand in this moment, that he gave her someone that could relate, uh, someone that could come alongside of her in a very challenging season and support her. Man, God will do that. 
That's one of the many ways that that God provides. I hope you have a story of how God has provided for you, maybe in the midst of your difficulties. I mean, he'll, he'll put people in our lives, all right? He'll, he'll come forward and he'll provide someone for us, someone that can understand, someone that can relate, someone that can pray for you when you're going through difficult times. It's, why, it's one of the many reasons why it's so helpful and important to be a part of a church and to be a part of a church family and not just attend and worship on Sundays and be unknown and race out the door, but actually get involved in the life of a church and get to know people and serve alongside of others and to get in something like a connection group where you're building relationships and where you can share life uh, with, with other people. This is an incredible demonstration of God's grace and provision for this woman, Mary. Now skip over a few verses, a few more verses if you would. For the sake of time, go over to verse 56 there. Again, in Luke 156, it says that Luke records that Mary remained with Elizabeth for three months, all right, and then finally returned to Nazareth. And when she returned, uh, we know, we speculate that she either told Joseph or it is possible that maybe he found out uh, and already knew when she came back. Now, hopefully you've got your finger in Matthew 1 still. If not, go back to the left. I think you can find it, Matthew chapter 1. Let's do this. Let's try and imagine for just a moment what this news must have done uh, to Joseph. I mean, Mary has been away from home three months now, and she's got this news that she's pregnant, and so he must have been suspicious, uh, certainly frustrated, uh, certainly disappointed, embarrassed, and even angry. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you, especially if you didn't know? Or you couldn't know. Look at verse 19, Matthew 1, 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, all right, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, in this particular culture, what everyone assumed Mary had done was viewed as an unforgivable sin. All right, And so even if Joseph wanted to give her another chance, he would have endured, he would have faced incredible pressure uh, from the community to divorce Mary or in this case, break the contract, all right, uh, if she indeed were guilty of adultery. And so Mo Joseph had every right to leave her. Uh, he had every right to send her on her way. And while rare, uh, even in this day, uh, this, uh, this, this scene, this, uh, the, the, what, what has happened here, uh, he had the right to uh, have her executed, all right, for betraying him. But here's what we know. Matthew records that Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, let's, let's at least give him credit for doing one thing right in the moment. Uh, he restrained his anger, all right? He didn't overreact. Uh, he's seeking to choose really the most compassionate way. And maybe that's a good reminder for us, uh, especially this Christmas, especially if uh, you sense some tension, uh, especially if you anticipate some conflict with uh, maybe family members, maybe uh, your parents, maybe there's something that's happened in your past. Maybe it's very recent. Maybe it happened at Thanksgiving. And so maybe you anticipate some conflict uh, with your parents or maybe you anticipate conflict with your ex. Again, maybe you've got a strained relationship with your kids. Maybe you've got someone on your naughty list, all right? And because you've got someone on your naughty list or maybe you're on someone else's naughty list, uh, there's a whole bunch of things uh, that you'd love to say this Christmas. There's a whole bunch of gifts, all right, you'd love to give to that other person this Christmas. But do you know what? You've got an opportunity right now to restrain your anger. Uh, I think we can see here that we've got an opportunity. Uh, you have another opportunity to, to choose another path to to choose things like peace and compassion rather than choose something like conflict and confrontation with someone else. Kind of reminds me of the, uh, 
comic strip Calvin and Hobbes. Any Calvin and Hobbes fans? I used to love to read the Calvin and Hobbes books as a kid, uh, the story of the little boy, and well, he's got this tiger, this stuffed tiger. It's stuffed to everyone else, but the tiger comes to life uh, for Calvin, and uh, it's one of my personal favorites. And I'm thinking about this one in particular. Calvin wrote a letter to Santa, uh, writing this, saying, Dear Santa, Every year at this time, I send you a list of what I want for Christmas, and every year you callously ignore it, bringing me practical things I don't want or need at all. What's the deal? Are you insane? Have you gone senile? Can't you read? Are you just a vindictive, uh, twisted oaf uh, bent on destroying little kids' dreams? And so Calvin is sharing this letter with Hobbes, and well, Hobbes looked back at him and said, you know, you might want to sleep on this one, all right? And, uh, and Calvin said, I know, but it felt good just to write it down. And, uh, and here, here's the thing for us. You, you might have it out for someone. Uh, maybe you're anticipating someone that's frustrated with you. Uh, restraining your frustrations uh, and your anger might be one of the smartest things that you do uh, over the next couple of weeks. It might even lead uh, to things like peace. It could lead to something like reconciliation. And doing so might keep you a little more focused on Christ uh, this Christmas or maybe at least a little more dependent on him uh, these next couple of weeks. And for Joseph, he held back. Uh, even if he was disillusioned, even if he was frustrated, even if he was hurt, and as a way of protecting Mary, he made plans to divorce her quietly. But then look at how the Lord intervened once again. Let's pick it up in verse 20. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. Do you see the obedience again? Do you see the obedience here that in spite of what was customary, Joseph broke from tradition. He chose to follow the Lord's command and to marry this woman, no matter what others would say. And so do you see God just working out his plan? He's working through obedient people, these obedient servants here. Can I be honest with you uh, for just a second? Uh, it, it's so hard to find new and fresh ways of preaching through the Christmas story every year. And uh, I, I find that I'm not the only one uh, that struggles with this. You can read through all sorts of different pastors and preachers' blogs. And, well, one of the common questions that they're all asking at this time of the year is, how, how do you preach through Christmas again? You know, because it, it comes around every single year. I mean, how many different ways can you look uh, at this story? But I got to thinking, I mean, isn't it so true? Isn't it isn't it so true that we can become so familiar with this story that we forget how incredible it really is? I mean, every aspect of it. And today, I mean, to think about what Joseph did for Mary and what Joseph did really for Jesus, I mean, is really pretty remarkable too. I mean, his willingness to take her in as his wife was insanely countercultural in this day. I mean, his friends and family likely thought he was crazy. He was, he was probably shamed for this. 
you know, and not only for the coming days, but uh, this was something that was probably going to continue on for Joseph. We know certainly for Mary and for Jesus for the rest uh, of their lives, but this is going to be something that Joseph is going to endure as a man. But do you know what? Because he trusted the Lord, because he was willing to trust the Lord and to live counterculturally, he didn't miss that first Christmas. Uh, He didn't give in to the cultural norms of the day. Instead, he made an intentional choice, a choice to obey. And because of it, he encountered the birth of a Savior that would not only change his life, but was going to change the lives of others, the whole world too. And so I just want to say this morning that I think Joseph's story can challenge us in a number of different ways uh, to make sure that we don't miss Christmas, that we don't miss the, the gift of a Savior. And so let me, let me ask you this, like, what, what would it mean for you? What would it mean for you as a, a couple? What would it mean for you as empty nesters? Uh, what would it mean for you as an individual to, to choose a different path this Christmas, uh, to take a different direction, you know, with your life uh, or with your traditions uh, if needed? I mean, what, what would it look like for you to make some conscious choices uh, that others might see as countercultural? We've touched on a few of these already, maybe something like the, the choice to choose obedience right now. Like even, even when it doesn't make sense, and even if you don't completely understand, or uh, it's the choice to choose peace, even when you want to, and maybe even have a right to choose conflict. For some of you today, it's been a really tough year, and so today maybe it's a matter of choosing faith and, and trusting the Lord through Christmas and on into 2017, just making that commitment today. But I wonder if for some of you, there could be another choice, and certainly nothing like what Mary and Joseph had to choose, but a a real choice that could go a long way in refocusing your heart and mind this Christmas. Here's the thing. I'd like to ask you to consider, if needed, a course correction of sorts when it comes to the way that you spend money, uh, the way you view gifts, or even give gifts uh, at Christmas. And, And let me explain this. You know, I think we all know, I think we all, if we were honest, would acknowledge that we live in a culture today of excessive consumerism, Uh, in consumption, really, right? I mean, think about how many companies uh, bank on uh, sales at Christmas to meet end-of-the-year goals. Or uh, think about how quickly we all, every single one of us, get sucked into the extremes of long shopping lists. Uh, Often the stress of going out and buying things for people uh, who really don't need one more thing. And because we all fall victim to this, because we all fall victim to the latest gadgets and hot deals, uh, you know how easy it is really to, to put a strain on, on your budget, to add financial strain to your life. And, and even if it's not a budget issue, it doesn't take much effort really at all before spending and buying gifts really hijacks the point of Christmas altogether. Like get this, look at this. Uh, in 2015, the average family planned to spend $882 on Christmas, which was slightly up from the 2014 mark of $861. Uh, many believe that we'll push well past that this year, uh, past the $900 mark. But here's what's most astonishing. Uh, according to one ABC News report, Americans combined will spend $465 billion on Christmas this year. Now, I'm not saying that there's not some good and that there's not generosity in this, but I think we've got to at least open our minds to this reality of $465 billion spent on gifts. And why? Like, why do we spend so much? You know, why do we feel the need to spend so much? Is it that we're trying to impress? Is it that we're trying to keep up with others? Are we Are we looking out for things like happiness? Are we hoping that these gifts will deliver in some way? I mean, do all of the gifts 
maybe potentially do some of them at least cover over maybe some issues or some challenges that we're not willing to address. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that spending and gift giving, really, well, when it becomes all of the rage, we so easily miss what Christmas is all about the birth of a savior for us. I mean, even Jesus later in life, he warned in Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 15, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And isn't that what Christmas has become so for so many? And I mean, isn't it possible that out of control spending is really the culprit, like the one thing that keeps us from truly focusing on Christ. And listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with giving and receiving gifts. I love it, all right? I love receiving gifts. But what I am saying is that I think we would do well, and maybe for some of you today, that you would do well to re- reconsider your motives, uh, reconsider the stress that you're putting on yourself over these next couple of weeks, maybe to honestly ask yourself if things like spending and gift giving have really become the main thing. Or is Jesus the main thing? And what are we teaching our kids in the process? What are we teaching our grandkids through our actions? And so what I'm asking you to consider today is this. What what if you could try a different approach this year? All right, and I realize we're just a couple of weeks away, and so some of you may be well on your way. Uh, what, what, What if we could make a choice to spend less and still be generous at the very same time? What, what if we could spend less and still say I love you to the people who matter the most to us? you know, the people in our lives? Or what if we could spend in a way that would say that Christmas is all about Jesus and really nothing else? Choosing to spend less at Christmas is insanely countercultural, all right? Whether we want to believe it or not. Now, don't get me wrong. It's nothing like the choice that, that Mary and Joseph are making and what they're up against. But, but you know, I mean, if you've ever intentionally cut back on your spending and maybe communicated this to your, to your children or maybe communicated this to your extended family or friends, there's a really good chance that some of you have looked at you like you're a cyclops or something, all right? Because who does that, right? I mean, who cuts back? All right, who takes another way? Who chooses another direction? But I will say this, there's a really good chance, and I know that some of you have taken these intentional steps in your life and in your family, and if you've done that, there's a really good chance you've experienced things like joy and peace and freedom, maybe in ways like you never have before because of these intentional moves. And I know that those are the things the Lord wants for us. That's, those are the gifts that he wants us to receive. Those are the things that he sent his son for. And so here's what it all boils down to for today. Um, I'm just simply giving you permission. And uh, I don't know if you feel like you need that, but uh, if you've ever wondered, do I have permission to do things differently? Uh, That's really the challenge today. It's just permission to feel like you can be countercultural when it comes to your spending this year. It's permission to spend less, all right, so that you don't get caught up into the extras that often cause us to miss the point of Christmas. And so uh, briefly and quickly, I, I wanna just give you three thoughts uh, for you to be thinking about processing, maybe having some conversation about with someone else or with your family today, uh, three countercultural moves uh, before we end this morning uh, when it comes to your spending that I think could go a long way in getting us refocused on what truly matters. The first thing is this, just be wise. All right, spend wisely. Uh, All right, if you haven't already blown the budget, if you've thrown away the receipt and can't take it back, uh, maybe it's a different story for you. But be wise, be reasonable. Don't spend beyond your means. You know, so many people get into huge, big financial trouble, or at least add to their troubles uh, at Christmas time. And what kinds of things can help? Well, things like a budget. And I know some of you hate that word, 
all right? But a budget really can help. I mean, a, a budget can help you take charge of your financial decisions. It, it can help you make wise decisions and live within your means. And uh, if you're operating on a budget, it can also uh, prevent you from feeling guilty, all right? for those things that you're purchasing uh, because you're living off of a budget. And I'll tell you what else a budget can do for you. Uh, it'll protect you from the MasterCard people, right? Because they'll serve you really well this time of year, but they'll come find you in January, all right? They're going to come up. They're, they're going to show up in your email uh, or at your mailbox. And uh, if you've got a family that, well, this is gonna be new news to them, if you're gonna do something differently, if you haven't managed resources wisely in the past, uh, call a family meeting. Uh, let your kids know, let your extended family know that, hey, things are going to be a little different for us this year, which probably means they'll be mad at me. That's okay. Have them send Ben Krause an email, all right, if you have any questions or if they have any concerns. And even if you can't afford it, now might be a good time to really evaluate how you spend and really ask yourself, is it worth it? Are all of these gifts worth it? Are these good things? Is our spending and our gift giving really glorifying Jesus at Christmas. And so uh, here's a creative idea. I love this idea. It comes from our own Mike and Haley Morgan. They own their own company. They write a blog post. And Haley wrote a blog post just a couple of weeks ago. You maybe have heard this before, but they're trying a different approach when it comes to gift giving with their kids this Christmas. And uh, if you've gone overboard in previous years, maybe something like this will be helpful to you. It's just the challenge to give four gifts uh, at Christmas. They're doing four gifts for their kids this year. Uh, one is something you want. Uh, there's something you need, something you wear, and something you read, all right? And maybe you've seen that before. I think that's clever. It can be helpful. Something you want. Every kid has things that they're wishing for. You've got people in your lives that are maybe wishing for something. Uh, if you've got kids, it's something you need, all right? Because we all need socks, all right? We all need underwear, all right? It's just a fact uh, of life. There's something you wear, you know, all right? Warm clothes are a blessing uh, at this time of year. And so is there a clothing item for your kids? And then I love this too, something to read, because toys are great, but encouraging your children to read can be a great gift too. So something you want, something you need, something you wear, something you've read. Some, some of you might do things like, well, Jesus got three gifts, so we do three gifts uh, for our kids. My challenge is just be creative. Uh, be wise, be countercultural. Don't feel the need to give in to out-of-control spending. The second one is this, spend thoughtfully. All right, when it comes to your spending and gift giving, be thoughtful, all right? Give in ways that really say, I love you to someone else. I mean, we've all got different love languages. Uh, for some people, that love language is words. For some people, uh, their love language is acts of service. Uh, there are some that feel love through gifts, all right? And we need to pay attention to those things. Uh, others feel love through quality time. Uh, I posed a question on Facebook a, a couple of weeks ago and just asked, how do you give thoughtful and intentional gifts at Christmas time? And I've seen a number of examples of how people do this. Uh, one guy talked about the importance of making homemade gifts. Uh, he gave this example that he collected a number of news articles and stats uh, of his uh, cousin who played high school basketball, and he collected all of these for a collage, put them in a frame, and that was a, a thoughtful gift that he gave to his cousin uh, at Christmas time. I uh, saw lots of ideas on giving experiences. 
all right, that we can give more than gifts. We can give experiences. Some of you to do that, whether it be through, uh, for a friend or, or even for family. One extended family noted that they cut out the gift giving altogether, that they realized we don't need one more gift. And so instead they pool their resources together and go have an experience even as an extended family. And so they'll, they'll go bowling together and spend a few hours together and all go out for pizza together. You know, they, they value that time together over one more gift. One, one parent noted that she likes to give her kids something like a class. And, and a class that she can take with them. And so whether that be uh, an art class or a sewing class or a cooking class, uh, I'll say this, that uh, Jenny and I, in much the same way, we enjoy giving experiences to our kids. Uh, and whether it's at Christmas time or uh, whether it's doing less at Christmas time so that we can do more at another time of the year, we, we value and treasure time together, uh, but traveling together as a family. And so we'll spend less on gifts all right, so that we can take these experiences together. We've really seen the benefit of being together, of having these experiences as family. And thankfully, our parents have done this for us too. And so rather than smother us with gifts, they, they plan trips for us to enjoy as a family. And so maybe that's a challenge for some of you parents. You know, and you might have to get creative in this, but rather than give more gifts, maybe there's an experience that you can give to your kids uh, as well. Just think about it. Uh, make some adjustments in your giving and spending this year. If you feel like you're caught in a rut and just caught in this trap of, of spend, 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 trying to achieve a certain number of gifts, uh, be wise. You know, Think about whether you're being thoughtful or not. Give, give gifts, uh, find unique ways of saying, I love you to the people that matter most. And the last thing is this, it's just to spend compassionately. Uh, to think about compassion, to think about generosity at this time of the year. I, I'd like to challenge you uh, if you don't already have something in mind, to give at least one compassionate, generous gift to someone in need uh, this Christmas. And so in addition to these ideas about experiences that I, uh, I uncovered on Facebook, it was so encouraging to see how many people uh, have found ways to be generous, uh, to pool their resources together as families uh, and give to things like particular missions and missionaries and ministry partners and other organizations that have a mission uh, to help people in need, to share the love of Christ with others. I, I love this story that I heard this past week from one of our connection groups. Uh, they've identified a family here in Noblesville, a family that's in great need right now. And over the past few weeks, they've been able to provide for this family as a group, a washer and a dryer. Uh, they, they have been able to help with monthly expenses uh, that are really burdening this family right now. And through it, uh, they're developing a relationship with this family. This family doesn't go to this church, uh, but this connection group is working hard together uh, really to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, to others right here in Noblesville. And this is one way that they're making progress in this. And so I don't know what it is for you. All right, I don't know what intentional next step you might take when it comes to a, a compassionate gift, but I hope you'll make a decision to be generous in some way for someone else this Christmas. Food for Souls is a great example. Uh, just one opportunity we're providing for you to give to those who are in need right now. If you're looking for something else or maybe something in addition to that, choose one of our ministry partners. Uh, you can go onto our website at genesischurch.me, find the outreach partners, and you can see the different ministry partners we have as a church. Maybe you choose to give a financial uh, gift to them, but maybe this, maybe God has in mind to put someone in your life, an opportunity in your life for you, an opportunity for you to respond and maybe say as a family, hey, we're going to give one less gift this Christmas so that we can give a greater gift to someone else. 
give a compassionate gift. Give a generous gift. And if you've got kids, if you can get them involved in it, get your family involved in it, but give a gift that has the potential to make an eternal difference in the life of someone else. Because here's what you might find. Making a countercultural move and taking a new direction in your spending might help someone else. But what you may find is that it could make all the difference in how you see and even experience Christ this Christmas as well. I mean, any of these moves might go a long way in shifting the focus from all of the extras that can be good, but so quickly push out Jesus so that we can truly focus on Jesus. We can focus on that one thing that matters most. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son. We thank you for the story, this remarkable and fascinating story that has the potential to, to move us and challenge us in so many different ways today. We, we invite your presence today to do that work in us, Lord. You know what it is. You know what we need, what move we need to make, what choice we need, Lord, what area of obedience or trusting or faith right now, Lord where we need to depend more on you so that we can experience and focus our hearts and lives on Jesus more than anything else. Would you give us the faith to do that today, Lord? Would you bring that to mind for us and give us the faith to take the appropriate steps to truly celebrate Jesus, the gift of your son to us and for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with us as we close out and worship this morning. And again, one more time, back to Matthew and this announcement by the angel to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, the angel said, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Let's not be afraid to make an intentional move to better prepare our hearts our lives to celebrate the birth of our Savior, the one who came to save us, the one who came to save you from your sins today. Let's sing, let's celebrate as we close together. The holy night, the star.